Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. The glasses hold yards of highly chased and Australia's greatest country is That's right. The greatest little country in the world for filmmaking. That's what 3CR's showreel is all about, looking at uh, different ways Australians use film to communicate ideas. And today we've got, uh, we're going to the world of installation art and how film can be used to uh, get across uh, major ideas. Uh, we're talking to Georgina, no, Georgia. I always want to put an N in there, but it's not. It's Georgia Wallace Crabb. It's five-screen film installation, The Earth and the Elements. And uh, I uh, asked her some questions about it because I think the use of film in this form is quite spectacular. So let's go straight away to talking to Georgia. I was very impressed with the whole notion of your uh, The Earth and the Elements concept. Can you explain to our listeners what how, your use of film in this Um, the context in coming to this multi-screen work was that I was uh, undertaking a doctorate in a creative arts faculty. Um, I, I guess I had frustrations with uh, linear narrative film and I also had frustrations with the marketplace and you know the struggle to try and get your films made and in front of people. But at the same time I had become very interested in the non-linear process and even traditional filmmaking is now cut in a non-linear environment. So often you have it operating on multiple timelines and multiple screens up until your final sort of compilation in the in the conventional structure. So um, there had been a lot of multi-screen work in biennales of art, particularly Sydney Biennale. There'd been some in- incredible international artists like. Uh, Isaac Julian, who did a giant nine-screen work about uh, China and uh, migration that was called uh, A Thousand and One Waves. And there were just lots and lots of works that were sort of breaking out of traditional screens. And it was very inspiring. And digital uh, cameras and digital formats made it possible to be working in that way where you didn't need a big crew and a lot of funding. So my work that I conceived at that time was around climate change. Um, It was about coal and iron ore and the movement of materials across the planet from Australia to China and then the transformation into 
outflows and carbon emissions and pollution and energy and products. So um, the concept was a five-screen work and it was uh, conceived to be in the shape of a pentagon which was to represent the five elements of the Chinese Taoist universe, I guess. And, and the work was to be a surround work, like a, five screens in the round, like a, almost like a circular screen, and you work, walked within the screens. So that was how we configured it in the so, Yeah, and, and you, uh, basically you're dealing with time and image, aren't you? Yeah, so there was a lot of uh, um, play with the notion of extended shots and, um, or as we call it in the business, temporal extensions, but not not using slow motion, always using realism. So the, the extended shots were the real time it took for Coltrane to travel across the frame, and some of the trains were two kilometres long, and they went almost continuously across the landscape from the the coal mines in the Hunter and in the um, Bowen Basin, just pumping down the line to the, the coal ports. It was like a vision, it was sort of like a vision of hell, I guess, that nobody ever really stood long enough to contemplate, that it was really a conveyor belt that was moving these materials by train and ship, continuously, you know, moving away. And then and then somehow we weren't feeling connected with the consumption of that coal by China, and we were wanting to blame China. Yeah, so for so the so climate catastrophe. So so the um, the sequence of the five screens. How long does that take to immer- be immersed in the entire sequence? Twenty five minutes. Twenty five minutes, and then it replays. And then it loops. Yeah. Th- then it loops. So, so it's not strictly linear. It, it, I mean, it's got a beginning and an end. It's got two phases where the first half is is in Australia and the second half is in China. So there's a continuous movement of, um, of, of threads of one thing moving towards another and progressing. And then right at the very end of the 25 minutes, you sort of start to increasingly see uh, kind of catastrophic images of... Um, coal mines on fire and um, pollution outpours and, you know, incredible urban jungle in China and high-density development and... and so, in know, way, small, so, so, in a way... So, in a way... Nightmare. Would, would you say that it, uh, when you were developing the concept that you were working from the principles or, or almost a musical principle? when you were thinking about the images and how you were going to construct uh, the various elements on the different screens? Yeah, I mean, I observed that it was a process more like musical composition, more by doing it and then kind of reflecting on that process. Certainly in my doctorate I wrote about it being more similar to musical composition because there was syncopation and there was rhythm and there's oppositional images and there's images which were in sequence with one another, you know, and and so there were a lot of different movements and flows around the screens and they weren't always left to right and they weren't always sequential in the way that a a single screen narrative would be constructed traditionally. So in that development... in that development that you're talking about, you would have come up with other themes as well, because I, I'm supposing, like... Uh, yeah, totally. I, I think what 
I did was I went back into a much more visual mode where I just recognised, you, you know, repetition and and uh, balance of, of images that reflected one another that had similar shapes, that had similar forms. So you, you started to get a kind of harmonising. Um, I think in in the early cinema there was a, a period where there were films being made like Symphony of a City and these kind of films that were about the rhythms of the city and there was a lot more kind of choreographed cranes and you know the movement of the the milkman and the beat and you know yeah, sort I of do. Um, informational films that were kind of popular in the early documentary period I just noticed myself moving more towards those sort of um, rhythm-based editing principles um, and it was sort of intuitive but uh, you know it, it meant throwing out a lot of what I had conceived as the way I would work I think I'd conceived that there would be earth fire metal water and wood and they would be the different narratives and they would run on the five screens but I found that thematically you needed that the theme to break out onto all five screens and develop and then broaden and then you, you might put a voice or a character speaking about the issue which helped the audience really understand and contextualise what they were really looking at for a moment just in a sort of emblematic grab of dialogue and then play it out in images on all the screens and then develop a new theme. So it really didn't have any relationship to a linear structure you know, on any one screen, it oh, sort of float around. That's quite fascinating, isn't it? It's that fantastic. Uh, I and you just brought in an element that I'd actually foolishly forgotten, which was uh, the sound. How did you? Yeah, that's right. yeah, talk about that. Well, the sound came a bit later in the concept. I think I was working fairly visually, and I just I, I adhered to principles of documentary filmmaking so that sound was required, it needed to be recorded, it had to be usable. But when I found I had five soundtracks, I had to choose one that would dominate because in a room you can't you can have five screens, but you can't have five soundtracks. And then I realised that you actually... I did lots of testing, so I started putting up versions of the film before I'd really edited what images would go with what, and it was almost like a mash-up each time. And then I'd observe what worked. And what I noticed is that you drew an audience to a screen by having a particular kind of sound, and then they would turn within the room and move towards that screen. So it actually becomes like an interactive work. Oh, that's fantastic. about in the space. Yeah. So then we did a five-to-one mix down, like a traditional cinema mix, but normally you'd have the centre, you know, the centre speakers and then a left and a far left and a right and a far right. Instead of putting one track into into five in, and orienting them within the space so that they were like surround sound, we just dedicated one channel to one screen. Ah. So you could put the sound of that screen onto that track. And then when you needed the sound of the truck over on the other side, you made sure it was on that track and you just laid down five tracks and ignored the way that the five-to-one was intended to be used and made sure that screen one had track one. Oh, that's fantastic. So, so, so and what... then you play it in a mix and then you, you decide which thing dominates in, in, in real time, in a real-time mix. 
And so you're really playing with the uh, perceptions that humans have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would have been lovely to make the film interactive. If I had had the technology, you know, I, I would have loved the idea of using webcams in the Gobi Desert, you know, and mines in Mongolia with little spy cameras where you could just see what goes on yep. over time in much longer time frames. Yep. But it just was way beyond me and I had to work with the tools and the medium that I knew and I could gather all the images and, and manage it this way, but we sort of had to devise the process as we went along, or we. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> Me plus advisors as required. <laughs> Which is an interesting process in itself, because you'd have had to have uh, uh, worked out what the question, it's the questions that count, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, was, I guess I was lucky to be doing a doctorate, so I had to present myself to them in a kind of orderly manner and tell them what I was working on. And there was a period where I was lost in translation. Um, and I kept telling them in a very business-like, kind of producerly way that I had a trip planned. But, you know, each time I went and said that I had something planned, I felt compelled to do it. Oh, of course. So, <laughs> That's, <laughs> right. That's great. So, uh, so in the first phase, you know, the the little little thing on my back was like a producer. Yeah. And that was another role that I play in my life. And that was just kind of going, you know, get your camera and go, girl. Mm. So I think I went to the Bowen Basin and the Hunter Valley and all the places that I could get to easily from where I live in, in um, south of Sydney in Bandina. And, and oh, one of the things that was really key is that we're down near the, the coal port of Wollongong, near the, the you know the smelter of uh, Port Kembler, uh, Port Kembler. Yep. And every day I would drive to the university, I'd just be passed by these coal trucks just pumping down the road, the same as those trains I was talking about. Yep. And I thought, no one ever looks. No one in Sydney sees the coal. There's coal all under Sydney, all the way from you know Newcastle to Wollongong. They could dig up Sydney for the coal if they wanted to. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, the idea of uh, digging up Ballarat for the gold that's still there. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sitting here in a national park and I moved here for the beauty and the nature. And then you realise you hear stories about how they logged the national park and they mined the national park. I don't know if it's true, but they could quite well frack the national park and you'd be gazing out to sea with your beautiful view and wouldn't even notice that... uh, we hear the booms from the Helensburg mines and things down here, and nobody knows what it is. They're in denial, you know. They don't notice the coal mining on their doorstep. Quite Fun. odd. Yeah, quite odd. And uh, what we're listening to is a chat with uh, Georgia Wallace Crabb, who has this fabulous uh, five-screen uh, installation called The Earth and the Elements. It showed at uh, New South Wales Gallery uh last year and it, at the moment it's in Adelaide. We haven't had it in Melbourne yet but it'd be great. But it's a great way of using film to get across ideas. It's it's quite extraordinary. Uh, before we go on to the last part of my chat with Georgia, uh, I've got a double pass to the Whiteley film that's on at the moment at Nova, Whiteley. It's a great film. It's a great documentary. If you want to give us a call on 94198377 and uh, leave your name and an address, we can send you out the ticket.
week. It's 94198377. It's a real treat, this documentary. I spoke to James Bogle last week about his film, Whiteley. It's really worth seeing. But let's get on with our next piece with uh, Georgia Wallace Crabb about her installation, The Earth and the Elements. Great stuff. The fundamental environmentalist message in uh, inherent in your your uh, construction, filmic construction, is uh, did you get uh, a lot of response from that, from the audience, that you've put it up a couple of times, haven't you? Yeah, it's actually screening in Adelaide at the moment in a museum called the Samstag Museum in, uh, I think it's part of the University of Adelaide. Um, it has been now picked up and is being uh, curated as a, an environmental work in the context of other with other environmental works. So it was shown in a really great show in Sydney at UNSW Galleries, which used to be COFA. Um, a curator there, Felicity Fenner, saw it in Wollongong in my graduation show and put it together with a work by a British artist called John Acomfra, who also works in multi-screen, and that was a giant three-screen work which might be screening in Melbourne, I think, at the moment, called Vertigo Sea, about the oceans. Ah, yes, I think it might be at Acme. Yeah, and it's sort of about uh, the consumption of animals from the sea and man's obsession with conquering and discovery and then the kind of use of, of, of resources from the sea and and also people. So it's also about race and and uh, colonialism. So, you know, different concerns in that work. The other, but, but overlapping, the other work was called Troubled Waters and that's Screening with Mine in Adelaide and that's a group of different multidisciplinary artists working with um, um, an ecologist called Dr Richard Kingsford who's quite well known on on uh, ABC Radio for talking about wetlands and the importance of river systems in uh, in the ecology of uh, the Australian landscape. So there's a big pro- uh, photographic work about the Murray-Darling Basin and about the the dry riverbeds from <clears throat> damming and redirecting water and uh, irrigation and all those sorts of things. There's a group of works by Janet Lawrence about the Murray Darling and an artist called uh, Andrew Belletti who used to be a sound designer who we worked with in the film industry is now working in installation work with Richard Kingsford at UNSW and and that had a lot of aerial photography of using bird uh, counting data from um, people who, who fly small aircraft over wetlands and count birds they repurpose some of the footage to have these strange sort of aerial films with um, just flying over the landscape. So, so um, what kind of audience is, responses are you getting from? Because the, these are very t- uh, uh, inspirational and uh, uh, quite uh, sensory. So, what kind of responses are you getting? I'm not necessarily there when the audiences are there. Oh, so, right. You know, I understood okay. a lot of people saw the work, um, particularly at UNSW. A lot of students were taken by staff members. I wasn't there, you know. I've, I've had direct responses from people when I've been in the gallery. I've had a number of good reviews. I think, 
the problem with an installation that runs from morning till night is 25 minutes long. It's quite hard to be there and experience the audience response in the way that you would if you had a cinema screening of a traditional film. People will duck in and look and then go away and have a think and pop back and sit down and, you know, they might not watch it the first time, you know, from the beginning. And when I did it in Wollongong at the university, I was there a lot more and I'd find strange things like the soundtrack had Chinese dialogue in some of it, which I'd picked up um, kind of inadvertently because I was being a little bit voyeuristic with my camera on the, the Bund in Shanghai filming couples getting married with cold ships floating by in the background <laughs> and um, China is the Chinese students who were doing like economics would drift in when they heard the Chinese dialogue so there was a lot of kind of just rubbernecking people wandering in and kind of wondering about it and you find people sitting on the floor and you know chemical engineers loved it because of all the chemistry and, you know, en- oh, fascinating. engineers and people like that. It's quite so, odd. You know, so, so, this form- science people. so this format actually breaks down barriers? Yeah, well, it certainly brings people into the space. If you have a space where you can install a work like this, I mean, the biggest challenge is finding somewhere to put it. I haven't had a Melbourne outing of it, for example. You know, I'm having a few conversations with spaces like Acme about that possibility, but you have to just put it up there and then let people sample it. And, you know, there's... You know, people say what they think when, they, when they're in un, unguarded moments. I know the security guard at North Sydney um, Art Prize where it was on display in an old coal loader. Oh, I didn't mention that. There was a, it's a coal loading facility that's now a, um, a recreational park and reserve that has art exhibitions. That's quite ironic. I was determined the work would be in the coal <laughs> loader when I heard about that. Um, and it was incredibly hard work because we had to hang all the screens and borrow the screens and get projectors and do it there because they didn't really have any facilities. But um, people really loved it in the context of the coal loading facility <laughs> that it was part of. But the security guard said to me, oh, you could put up text to say where all your images were shot. Hmm. You know, is that Mongolia? Is that, you know, whereabouts is that? And this guy turns out to have studied, I don't know, nuclear energy in India. So, oh. um, you know, interesting engagement on different levels. Chinese audiences engage with the images about China and the, the narrative and the pollution and, and so on. That, that connection between Australia and China, very compelling. Yeah, well, I... Um, can you just hold one second? I just have sure. to switch off from mobile phone. Yeah, right. Just Go. The, the China uh, connection was one that I'd been pursuing for some time. I, I made a film about um, globalisation and redevelopment in China called New Beijing, Reinventing a City. Hmm. And, and Beijing, I've been to Beijing. It's just extraordinary. It's just so it big. It is extraordinary. Oh, so Beijing was the subject of my previous film, which was a film about architecture and the destruction of cultural heritage in Beijing and a sweeping away yep. of the old city of Beijing. Yep. And I had been there in the 80s. I went back um, with a compulsion to kind of bear witness yep. to what was happening to the city, and that was in the time of the Olympics. And I went up and down quite a bit, and the people that I was filming were engineers and architects involved with some major projects up there. Yep. 
And it was quite extraordinary to witness the whole China phenomenon, I guess. But it was also interesting to have conversations with engineers who are involved with sustainability issues and talking about solving future problems. And I found there was a lot of positivity and a lot of inspiration to be had in the energy um, that they were bringing to the space. Yep. And I wanted to make a film about uh, greening China and the the take-up of uh, renewables and try and explore how much was really possible to be done in China and, you know, the notion of cooperation on the issue of climate change. Um, yeah. I didn't end up making that film. I made this film instead. <laughs> <laughs> One step at a time, I'd say. Yeah, well, the other film might have ended up with a bit of a greenwash issue. It was really quite hard to know what was really being achieved and what wasn't. You know, the, the catastrophe, which is the Chinese uh, urbanisation, is so, you know, huge and significant that there's issues, just multiple issues about habitat, species loss, human rights, animal cruelty, pollution and climate change. And yep. it becomes very overwhelming. But the, certainly the, the notion that Australia is interconnected with all those issues and is a beneficiary of their economy, you know, their economic growth and so on, was the dominant one that I came away with. The, the, the connection between our sale of coal and iron ore and our prosperity with their development and chaos and, and uh, you know, pollution... Thanks it's all for the same thing. yeah, it's all the same thing. Thanks for talking to me today, Georgia. It's a really fascinating project that you've uh, you. used film for. Thank you. There's one one thing I would add is that it did actually interconnect with our film cultivating murder and the whole land clearing issue. We spoke to you last week about cultivating murder, which is screening at Acme at the moment this coming Saturday on the twentieth at four pm. And it looks at the way in which land clearing in Australia is, you know, potentially leading to species loss and uh, um, degradation of land and loss of productivity for farmers and, you know, the failure to meet our climate change um, commitments from uh, the Paris Climate Summit. Well, as you say, words are cheap. Action is the thing. Mm. Well, people can't see my work in Melbourne at the moment, The Earth and the Elements, but they can come and see Cultivating Murder. That's right. And uh, w- watch out for the other one when it, when it comes. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. Thank you, Annie. See ya. Bye. Yeah, and that was uh, Georgia Wallace-Crabb. She and her, she's talking about this fantastic five-screen film installation, The Earth and the Elements, and the film that she was talking about, Cultivating Murder. If you want to know more about Cultivating Murder, go to the podcast for Solidarity Breakfast. We spoke to Gregory Miller and uh, Georgia Wallace-Crabb, was a producer of Cultivating Murder, which is a fascinating film about the uh, trial of... Uh, Ian Turnbull after the murder of a uh, government uh, government uh, officer for environment. Uh, uh, he was found guilty of the murder, but the land clearing continues. But uh, the film Cultivating Murder is on at ACME on Saturday at 4pm. Uh, it had a great showing last weekend. It's your chance to have a look at it. 
this weekend at Acme at 4pm. That's the end of the program today. Coming up next is Published or Not. We're going to go out with The Waifs. Temptation, temptation, flee from me, devil, flee. Forty days and nights in the wilderness, Jesus hung it there, and the devil said, Make these stones be bread if you are who you say you are. And Jesus said, Get behind. Me, Satan, it was written long ago. Man shall live by the word of God. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.